We're doing Tucson later for a business thing, you know. What kind of business you in? Hello, passengers, all 10 of you. Hello. (laughs) Oh, so thrilled today to be here to talk about this movie with my childhood bestie, Rachel. Kristen couldn't be here today, but Rachel is here. You heard the dulcet tones of her voice on our other's episode. She had some very insightful remarks, and she came very well prepared for the episode we're about to record. Rachel. Not only... Did I watch the movie? But I also read the book. Yes, you did read the book. And the Wikipedia. And the wiki. And we did we we did a little bit of a deep dive into the production of this movie and the history of it. And Patricia Highsmith herself, the novelist. Rachel, would you like to introduce the film? So today we are discussing the movie Carol, which came out in 2015. Hell yes. Based on the book, The Price of Salt by Patricia Highsmith, but originally she published it under a pseudonym. Is that what they're called? Pen name. A pen name. Right. Claire Morgan, right? You said? Yeah. Claire Morgan. Yes. Published in 1952 under that pen name. And then it was republished as Carol in 1990 with her name, with the novelist's name. The film stars Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Sarah Paulson, Jake Lacey, and Kyle Chandler. Set in New York City during the early 1950s, Carol tells the story of a forbidden affair between an aspiring female photographer and an older woman going through a difficult divorce. It's going to be really hard for me to not talk about the book. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I So I read the book a year ago because I was like trying to get in the mood for Carol's season because I, I love this movie but I hadn't read the book. So I read it about a year ago. And then when I asked you to come on to do this, I was like, well, you probably would actually like the book because Rachel is very well-read. She's read many of the Pulitzer Prize winners. Yep. I'm on a quest to yeah. read all the Pulitzers. I would say I prefer reading more than watching movies or TV. Yeah. So she's she's got a pretty refined palette and is well-read and your tastes are very literary, I'd say. Not so much commercial fiction. I knew you would like this one because it was written by Patricia Highsmith, who she was known for her crime novels, but she's regarded as a, a very good writer by the literati, like the the community of what by the literary community. <laughs> yes. Do you know what this book reminds me of? A little bit. What? I don't think. Well, actually, you haven't read either of these books, but Rebecca. Oh, Daphne, Daphne du Maurier. Daphne du Maurier, because she was pretty suspenseful. She's a very suspenseful yeah. writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also The Bell Jar, not in themes, but in like societal expectations and the setting New York. In the 50s, right? Yep. And I think it was published in the 60s, but yeah. I, it might have been written about the 50s. 
Um, but then this, like the writing style is similar to me. Yeah. Yeah. So right. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. You can tell in reading it, she's a very good crime writer. <laughs> it's, it, it reads a little bit like a thriller. Did you watch the movie before you read the book? I, Em? Did. I did. I watched the movie first and then I was like, oh, I think I'll read the novel. I'm curious. And I really enjoyed the novel. I don't know why I was surprised. Maybe because Highsmith was known for writing Strangers on a Train. That was her first smash hit. And she was in her 20s when she wrote that. Hitchcock adapted it into a film. So she had success very early on. And then she's probably most well known for writing the Tom Ripley books. If you've seen the movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley, that is the, one of Richard Highsmith's works. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in reading mm-hmm. her other books after reading this. Yeah, this one kind of stands out in her body of work because it's entirely about women and it's a lesbian love story. So her other books have queer subtext, at least, but this one is about two women in love and there's nothing implicit about it. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why she used a pen name. Oh, yeah. Was because... Her publisher was telling her, well, you have to write like only suspense novels and you can't have anything else in your backlog. Your oeuvre. Yeah. <laughs> well, she did because at the time, any uh, there were books written about lesbians, but they were pulp. So her publisher didn't want her to be categorized with these pulp writers. Also, this was just taboo. This was a taboo sub- like subject, right? Yeah. That was another reason she wanted to use a, a pseudonym. And... The plot is simple. We kind of covered it already. (laughs) As for some basic stats on the movie. So this movie, as we mentioned, came out in 2015. It was directed by Todd Haynes. The the screenplay was by Phyllis Nage. It's based on The Price of Salt by Patricia Highsmith. Produced by Elizabeth Carlson, Stephen Woolley, Christine Vachon. I don't know if that's how you say it. Kate Blanchett was also an executive producer on this. Oh, nice. Yeah. So she had input there. And as I mentioned, yes, it stars Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. Cinematography by Edward Lachman. Edited by Afonso Gonsalves. Sorry I, if I said that wrong. I hate when that happens. Music by Carter Burwell. I'm obsessed with this score. I love it so much. I listen to it when I drive. I listen to it at work. <laughs> it puts me right in the headspace of Carol. Because, I mean, the movie opens with this music. And you're, like, zooming out on the subway grate every time. I just, oh, it... I am flooded with emotion. (laughs) It reminds me a lot of Philip Glass's score for The Hours. I know I've told you about this. Oh, it has been so long since I watched that movie. Yeah, we have to do The Hours now. Yeah, that would be a good one for us to do. Similar. Oh, I love the score. I just, it's, it's, it just, I don't know. Puts me in an emotional space that I really enjoy. The score and then also there's a lot of Christmas music that's interspersed throughout the movie. And no, there were a number of production companies on this one. Number nine films, film four productions, killer films, distributed by Studio Canal and the Weinstein Company. So, ew. <laughs> That's the one thing that tarnishes this movie is the, its association with the Weinsteins. Released May 17th. So, it was released pretty early it, it, at the Cannes Film Festival, May 17th, 2015. But then it, it came out in the United States, November 20th, 2015. It had a budget of $11.8 million, which is like a relatively low budget for okay. a big picture like this you know headlined by Kate Blanchett and the the Weinsteins and big Oscar contender and it had a box office of 42.5 million so pretty healthy healthy return on that where shall we begin where shall we even begin well we should begin at the beginning (laughs) very good place to start so like Emily had mentioned it opened with 
uh, a beautiful score, then yep. the train noises, and the oh. close-up of the subway grate. I never thought that could make me so emotional, but it does. Every time I see it, it gives me chills. And one of the things that I know that you love about the movie is the beginning and the ending. It's bookended. The full circle. As Carol said, there are no accidents. Everything comes full circle in her letter to Therese. <laughs> I love how this movie is bookended that, because that is not in, in the book. No, it's not in the book. Nope. There were a lot of cinematic choices that were made that I think really enhanced the movie compared to the book. Right, it made it more filmic because no one that no one that adapts a novel, you can't do it literally. It's a different medium. You can't just shoot page by page. So yeah, the Phyllis Naj had to make some choices here along with the director on how they were going to frame this story and divert from the source material. I've watched a lot of interviews about this movie because kind of obsessed with it, but uh, both Phyllis and Todd Haynes, the director, they talked about how their love for this movie that came out I think in the 40s called Brief Encounter and it's a similar it's a love story it's between a man and a woman but it's it was um it's a forbidden love love story between these two but it's bookended in a similar way to Carol it it doesn't make sense at first why the starting point is what it is but then at the end when it comes back to that point at the beginning it's so devastating in this movie oh my god and it's just so interesting to watch because you know you have an idea of what happened already, but then to yeah. know the characters and then to watch it again, it was a really smart decision to do that. Yeah. Very impactful. But we should talk about the inspiration <gasps> for the novel. Oh my God. I, I'm obsessed with this. Okay. Rachel, do you have the, the information? I have several tabs open with articles about this exact incident, but maybe you already have all the information. I have it from the afterward. From Patricia Highsmith herself. So Patricia Highsmith took a job working at a department store over the holidays. Um, But in the afterword of her book, this was written in 1989. The book was published in 1952. So this was an afterword that she wrote along. I think it must have been when she republished it as as Carol. Carol Carol, and with her name. But she's talking about her experience working at the store. And she says, Mm -hmm. one morning into this chaos of noise and commerce, There walked a blondish woman in a fur coat. She drifted toward the doll counter with a look of uncertainty. Should she buy a doll or something else? And I think she was slapping a pair of gloves absently into one hand. Perhaps I noticed her because she was alone, or because a mink coat was a rarity, and because she was blondish and seemed to give off light. So she ends up buying a doll, and Patricia writes that, I wrote her name and address on the receipt because the doll was to be delivered to an adjacent state. It was a routine transaction. The woman paid and departed, but I felt odd and swimmy in the head, near to fainting, yet at the same time uplifted, as if I had seen a vision. Wow. Rachel, thank you so much for reading that. Um, I die when I, when I hear that story. So that was from the afterward she wrote, years and years after this happened. But did you read into more of about this actual, this person? 
Yeah. I have. I have read a couple different sources, so I'm not sure what is all accurate and what's not. Yes. I have this New Yorker piece that came out. Let's see. What year was this? In 2015. So right when this movie came out, the New Yorker had this piece called Forbidden Love. By, in the, it was written by Margaret Talbot. But it's about um, Highsmith and the, the incident that inspired this novel that has endured to this day. It goes into a little bit more detail. It does say Bloomingdale's in this. There was another account that said Macy's, but either way, Patricia Highsmith was 27 at the time, and she had already completed Strangers on a Train, but it would be a year before that was published. So she was short on cash. <laughs> she So she had to take this seasonal job as a, a shop girl, which I, I think she found pretty demeaning. <laughs> We've been there. Yeah. Oh my. Well, we we will get into this. Okay. This says she took the job in part to pay for psychoanalysis. I wonder if that's true. I like that. Yeah, because she, if you don't know, uh, Patricia Highsmith was a lesbian, but it was um something that was very difficult for her. Let's just say at one time, at least in her life, she did undergo psychoanalysis. She was engaged to marry this uh, this man, um, a novelist named Mark Brandel, but she was pretty ambivalent about it. She she didn't know what to do. So she was in psychoanalysis. And unfortunately, at this time, conversion therapy was a thing. And it unfortunately still is a thing where people thought that homosexuality was something that you could just cure because it was regarded as something that needed a cure. This is something that she underwent and she was working at this Bloomingdale's in New York city. And like you said, one day this woman drifted into the store in a mink coat in, in the toy department. And again, she had this almost religious experience. It sounds like, like you said, I love how she described it. She felt odd and swimmy in the head near to fainting and at the same time uplifted. And then she went right home and she wrote an eight page outline for this novel. She said it like flowed right out of her pen. It just, it was almost effortless for her. It was almost like she was um, in kind of a, like a trance or something. But then she ended up publishing the novel in 1952. So like four years later under the name Claire Morgan and the novel is called The Price of Salt. And yes, it has endured to this day. So did you read that the real life Patricia sent this woman a Christmas card, but she never heard a reply back? I read in the New York. So this is very, very sad. (laughs) I mean, also disturbing because apparently Highsmith memorized this woman's address. Yeah, I heard heard the same article, I'm sure. He did. Yep. So she memorized this woman's address because back in the day you would fill out like it was called a COD slip, a cash or cash on delivery which is what in the movie, that's how Carol pays for the the train set. It, it's a train set in the film. But she, this woman whose name was Kathleen Sen, she filled out the slip. And because uh, it, it, it seemed like Patricia Highsmith instantly fell in love with this woman and became kind of obsessed with at least the idea of her, she memorized her address, which was in New Jersey. And one day took it upon herself to, to drive out there. <laughs> And she just kind of like stood outside of her house and she caught a glimpse of her. Oh, did she? She did. Yeah. Okay. So the article that I read said that um, she tried to find the house, but she couldn't. And she was kind of like too embarrassed to keep looking. So she ended up giving up and going home. Okay. Damn. We're getting different accounts here, but I don't know. Something something similar. 
Yeah, that was, so this, this was in the New Yorker. I'd, I'd like to hope, you know, I hope the New Yorker gets their facts straight and yeah. they have fact checkers that, that get this all right. Um, it's very sad though, because this, this woman, her name was Kathleen Sen, like I said, she ended up taking her own life in 1951 and Patricia Highsmith never learned about this. Yeah. But it's very tragic. Um, yeah, it was only one year before the novel was published. And- no, I know, I know. I I was just uh, very shocked when I read the, the whole story behind the creation of this novel. But I mean, Highsmith already showing these, <laughs> I, she's a crime writer. The fact that she went out to this woman's house, oh my God, that's like... <laughs> Kind to of be scary. fair, there's no Facebook during this time. True, but damn. You can't just like look her up on Facebook and Facebook. Yeah, the fact that she memorized the address, which I have here, 315 Murray Avenue, Ridgewood, New Jersey, from the sales yeah. took the Erie Railroad from Penn Station. She boarded a bus and then she ch- says she drank two rides to get her courage up. In Sen's residential neighborhood, Highsmith felt conspicuous, but as she wrote in her diary, she lingered until she saw a pale aqua blue automobile driven by a woman with dark glasses and short blonde hair alone, and I think in a pale blue or aqua dress with short sleeves. Yeah, <laughs> that's this really, this really happened. I mean, but also like back in the 50s, you would just have a phone book like with your name and address in it. It's not right. like people are, I feel like people today are so much more private and like, I would get creeped out if some person came to my house. I didn't oh. know. But I'm not, like, the fact that she did it, I'm like, holy yeah. shit. <laughs> and because this was in whatever, in, I think 1952, I think the movie says it's set in, in 1952. Um, all these women, you'll notice that Carol, even in her stationery, she's Mrs. Hargis aired. Women would not even use their own name. They would use right. their husband's name. So same thing with this woman, Mrs. Sen, um, when she signed the slip, it was, let me see here. So she signed the slip as Mrs. E.R. Sen, so her husband's name. So it would have been pretty hard to That's true. locate anyone. But some details from the film that I love are the fact that, uh, spoilers, by the way, we're just kind of, we're jumping around. But at the end of the movie, when Carol sends Therese that personal message, she has it like special, like delivered to her by hand, which was expensive, yep. handwritten note that she has delivered to Therese at work. Her stationery has her name. It says like Mrs. Harges aired. And the address they give her is the same address. It's the address of Mrs. Sen. That's nuts. They added a three. They added one three. So instead of three. Oh, they did. Okay. I was going to say like, did they get permission from the yeah. family? Instead of three. Yeah. Instead of 315, it's like 3315, Maria. Oh, okay. But yeah, they have Carol in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And um, another thing, I just love the detail in this is that I was like, well, how how detailed are they? So I looked and in that note that she writes to Therese, it says, will you please meet me at the Ritz, 6.30 p.m. Friday, April 17th. So I was like, well, okay, let's see what if these these dates track, if it, what day of the week was April 17th. And yes, April 17th, 1953, they really did their research here because- the film starts in December of 1952 and it ends in April of 1953 and they got all the dates work. So that really was a Friday, the the day that they met in this, in this movie. I love that. Yeah. I think those little details really bring the film to life. Mm-hmm. We talked about the fact that this film is bookended. It begins with, with this totally 
what's the word? Irrelevant character. The camera follows this young man into the Ritz. You can see him kind of looking around the place and you you catch the glim- a glimpse, just a glimpse of Kate Blanchett as Carol aired, sitting across from this woman with short dark hair, but we don't see her face. You, you see her for like a second. He kind of rolls up on, <laughs> he rolls up on them. And he just yeah, he just shouts Therese and uh, and then Rooney Mara as Therese turns around. Therese, is that you? What do you know? I'm saying to myself, I know that girl. Jack. Gee, it's great to see you, Therese. It's been months. Months. Jack, this is Carol Air. Huh. Pleased to meet you. Likewise. That's how we first see them. That's how we first meet them. But we have no idea what conversation he's just interrupted until the end. No, it just looks like two women having dinner. Are they having dinner or drinks? They were drinking tea, I think. It's fancy. It's Friday evening at the Ritz. Carol, at least, very sophisticated woman. It kind of seems like he has interrupted something. But when we find out what he interrupted, it blows your mind. Therese, she introduces her young friend here to, to Mrs. Aird. And then Carol... She's very polite, but she says, well, I need to go, you know, make a few phone calls or something. And then we kind of seg into this flashback. Therese gets in the taxi cab with a bunch of other 20-somethings, and she flashes back to the fateful day she met Carol. Yep. I love how a lot of the car scenes, they're shot from outside of the car. Mm-hmm. So you see the reflection more than you see what's going on inside of the car. The more you watch this movie, the more you pick up on things because many, many shots in this film, they're filmed through glass yeah, or through a window um, or just some weird, almost voyeuristic vantage points. It, there's, you know, speaking of the book, there are a few, there's a, there are a few lines in the book where it talks about Therese viewing life as if it were a reflection. Do you remember? I do. I think, do you have I think, it? I think I have it. Okay. You look that up while I talk. <laughs> No, the cinematography is is beautiful in this. And oh, what was I? Where was I going with this? Oh, it was also shot in sixteen millimeter film. So, did you notice, Rach, when you were watching the graininess? It was shot on a sixteen millimeter film. So, I wouldn't have noticed that yeah, unless you had yeah. told me. Gives it a really beautiful green. The quote, Queen. Did you find it? Yeah. It says um, Carol tells Therese, "You so prefer things reflected in glass, don't you?" Mm-hmm. Like that windmill is practically as good as being in Holland to you. I wonder if you'll even like seeing real mountains and real people. Carol is so mean in the novel. She's, she's brutal in the novel. She's brutal. She's really blunt. But it's like, honestly, it's kind of cathartic for me to read about really mean people. Yeah, I think we, we are going to talk quite a bit about the book, but Carol doesn't pull any punches in the book. She's She's very blunt. And I'm like, that's Highsmith coming through because... She became known, especially later in life, for being pretty mean okay. um, and rude and unfortunately anti-Semitic and racist and oh, okay, even misogynistic. We're going off topic, but yeah, she, I think you can tell through the uh, reading that, yeah, she, she didn't write soft characters, even, even Therese in the book. She's pretty unsympathetic. There's this poor woman in the book named Mrs. Robichek who's one of her co-workers who's this like middle-aged woman who lives in poverty and you know her husband has died and Therese just has so much contempt for her yeah she resents her for being ugly yeah ugly and old and poor and uh, and it's a turn off let me just say that but later on she does regret how mean she was 
Yeah. At least in her actions, because privately she's having these pretty unkind thoughts, but she does visit this woman. And then she later on sends her a sausage or something. <laughs> but yeah, it was a good, it was a nice gift because she could live off that sausage for, for a like weeks. a couple of weekends of it. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the characters in the book, not particularly likable. Like no. Ther- Therese has a pretty sad backstory in the book. Yes. And that was not discussed at all during the movie, which I found surprising. Some differences in the book. So This is all out of sequence. We're just going with it. This is organic. We're going with the flow here. Okay. In the book, Therese is 19, a baby. Probably wouldn't be regarded as a baby in 1952, but today we would certainly say that's a baby. I think my grandma got engaged when she was 16. So yeah, I mean, I work at Arizona state and I have student workers and they're all, you know, 18, 19. And I'm like, God, they look 12 you know they look so young when I when I just imagined Trez in the book people did yeah, one of your old. students yeah people did look older back then though like you could see a picture of a 19 year old and she looks 30 well that's just I think because of the style yeah the styling and stuff and I, even the way people carry themselves yeah because uh, you see photos of like people like your book photos from the 70s and you're like no way is that person 18 18 <laughs> there yeah. is no way they must be 30 yep well, when, when uh, Kiki and I covered Harvey Girls, that movie has Judy Garland, who was really young, but it has it had uh, Angela Lansbury, who was like 20, 21, but looked like 30 to 35. <laughs> so I was so surprised to learn that she was like 20 when she did that movie, just because of how they styled her and how she yeah. behaved and sort of carried herself. So yeah, Therese is 19 and she has pretty sad you know her backstory is sad where her father died when she was young and then her mother who did not care for her that much left her at essentially an orphanage it was like a girl's school like an episcopalian <laughs> girl's school run by nuns so she's on her own. she's very much alone but she does have a relationship with this guy named richard who is barely in the movie like he's in a couple of scenes but he's definitely in the book a decent amount mm-hmm. yeah carol in the book is like 32 yeah. Young. Kate Blanchett was around 45 and Rudy Mara was like close to 30. Mm-hmm. So they aged okay. up the age of the characters. Aged up the characters, but similar age difference. Yeah. Like a 15 year, you know, 15 yeah. year age difference. Yeah. Where were we, Rach? I don't know what, like, <laughs> what are we talking about? We're talking yeah. a about Therese. Oh yeah. We're talking about, I was surprised that Therese's backstory wasn't in the movie because I thought it added a lot of what she's seeking from Carol could be mommy. Like, <laughs> she, yeah, she has mommy issues. She has all the mommy issues. And then we learn that Carol is going through stuff with her daughter. So Carol has like a need to. Well, there's a funny story about that, Rachel, where I've been listening to this podcast called Sundays with Kate. And, and this guy loves Carol. Bl- <laughs> he loves Carol. Carol. He loves Carol Blanchett. No, he loves <laughs> Kate Blanchett so he devoted his entire podcast to Kate Blanchett but he loves Carol the movie he did like four or five episodes just about this movie but one of the guests he had on was like oh yeah if you notice in the background at the toy store jumping ahead there's a sign that says mommy's baby and they're like and that is the plot of Carol (laughs) literally (laughs) and the fact that they had Rooney Mara look like the little girl she looks like Rindy they have the same haircut it's like that that was not an accident no well it was so like apparent throughout the book yeah like, what was happening they didn't maybe but, they just 
Maybe they didn't want to hit it over the head and be like, oh yeah, she's basically an orphan because her mom abandoned her. So she has all these mommy issues. <laughs> yeah, we can look, we can look past that. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. You're so right. Maybe they just didn't want to take up any real estate in the movie with right. that. Go if ahead. you think about the movie, the movie's two hours long and that's a pretty lengthy movie. That is a long movie. But there's nothing in there that I would feel that they would cut. I feel like they've no. condensed everything as much as possible. They did. I think it's really well made. It has, it's well paced. Nothing. Yeah. Like you said, nothing feels superfluous. Like they could have added some stuff, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, because I love it so much. I'm like, yes, this could have been three and a half hours, but <laughs> <laughs> should have yeah. been a mini series. <laughs> mm-hmm. Therese. Yeah. They did change some things like in the book, Therese has had sex with Richard. Yes. I was going to bring that up. Cause and, I made it. Why? Like why? And hated it. Like, why make her a virgin in the movie? I don't know. I, yeah. And especially because, you know, Rooney was like 30. Are we supposed to assume she's 20 years old in the movie, even though she's a 30 year old woman playing this character? It's just, I don't know. But it's like, okay, so she's never had sex with Richard. Can we assume she's had sex with another person before? So she's not the virgin. It just seems like she's played very much like this innocent. Yeah. Yeah completely inexperienced person maybe because they didn't include all the mommy issues they wanted to bring in a different element in that sense I don't know but he was, I was like yeah because in the book she has a pretty unsatisfying um physical relationship with Richard and this also reminds me of something that Patricia Highsmith said where she had a pretty complicated relationship with women where she was only attracted to women but didn't like women a whole lot <laughs> she preferred the company of men but she said that having sex with a man was like steel wool in the face is what she said. That's what Therese was experiencing with Richard. She just was not into it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was going to mention how there are certain books that you read that you feel are highly personal. And that's definitely the feeling you get when you read this book. Everything feels so much like it comes from experience. Especially like when we get into Carol uh, I don't know which articles you read, but it talks a little bit about women she fell in love with and had relationships with that very well may have influenced her characterization of Carol. There was a yeah. woman named Virginia Catherwood, um, and there was another one too, I think, also named Virginia, which is crazy. But um, uh, yeah, so she was definitely bringing her personal experience to this. Yeah, which just makes it great. Oh, it's so good. But damn, we got like crazy sidetracked. Okay, let's go back. (laughs) Okay, we got crazy derailed. So yeah, so Therese um, is reminiscing on how she met Carol Aird. She did not know her name at the time, but she is working at this stand-in for Macy's or Bloomingdale's called Frankenberg's with her boyfriend, Richard, that does not care what she thinks or feels, really. (laughs) He just projects whatever he wants onto her as we will come to find out. And um, one day she's at this toy. She's, she works the doll counter. This is a huge department store. And Rachel, do you want to talk about this? Yes. <laughs> it is. <laughs> First of all, it is so cute that she goes in there without her Santa hat on. Every oh. other employee. Is given a Santa hat while they're walking into the store. 
And then she's just standing there without it. And then the manager is like, put that hat on. Do you love her manager that's pissed off all the time? Yeah. You notice, you know what I noticed, Rach? She looks what? like uh, Carolina Zabrowska a little bit. Oh, does. Yeah. She has like cat eye glasses, but she's always pissed. She's, I'm like, that was a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> her manager's angry all the time. Yeah. And the guy who just says compliments of the season like 80 times. <laughs> Did you ever have to wear a Santa hat, Rachel? I never. I know it. No, I didn't. But I wouldn't have been mad about it. You would have been mad? No, I wouldn't have been mad. Oh, no. I would have gladly worn a Santa hat. You would have looked cute on it because you you got the red hair. It would have been cute. Yeah. Rachel and I are coming to this with personal experience as well because I did the exact thing that, the exact thing that Therese and Patricia Highsmith did, which was during Christmas season one year as a young lady... I did seasonal work at a department store and I was just, you know, I didn't know about the movie Carol at the time, but now I'm thinking, oh my God, if only, could I please just be a shop girl working seasonally and have someone that looks like Kate Blanchett come in and (laughs) sweep me off my feet, please. And I worked, I was working retail for probably six years at a sporting goods store. Rachel did. And I was swept off my feet. Not by Carol. Not by Carol. We both have some, yeah, some experience of this, but um, yeah, but it hit you right in the, right in the feels if you've ever worked retail of just like how busy it gets during the holidays. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and that would be the time where you would probably see some affluent person come in and buy Christmas gifts. Oh my god! So she's working at the doll counter. I love how this is shot. I scream internally or literally. I scream every time I see this, Rachel, when. She looks up and she sees Carol. Oh my God. I don't know how they accomplished this. The director, the, the, the cinematographer, but she really is a vision. She's she's in that, that mink coat, like Patricia Highsmith described. And she's wearing you know, bright red lipstick. She's got red nails and she has like a red hat on. Yep. Meanwhile, Trez yeah. is sitting there with her employee uniform on. <laughs> yeah. You see the disparity between these women right yeah. away. She's a shop girl. She's she's a shop girl, but I love, okay, this is a part that I thought that wouldn't have been included in the movie, but in the book, she had ended up running into like a cart or something. Oh yeah, she, she was bleeding. She injured her leg in the book mm-hmm. and then she had to go to the bathroom and get a sanitary napkin. Pad. Yeah. A pad. <laughs> and like, a pad around her leg. To stop the bleeding. <laughs> And then runs out. She has to run after Carol in the book to give her her COD slip. She just has like a pad wrapped around her leg. I'm like, no offense, Emily, but this would be something to happen to you. Oh, Rachel, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I remember working Black Friday the night before at where I did when I was doing the seasonal work all night. So we were there all night setting up for the next day, but oh God, but I wouldn't wrap the whole damn thing around my leg. I would just take a little cotton or something, but yeah. oh, that's so This funny. is a time of skirts, so you couldn't get away with it. Oh, she's wearing a skirt and yeah. Um, oh yeah. But you immediately see the disparity, the age disparity, the experience, because we can assume Carol has sexual experience. She at least has it with Abby with women and then um, wealth huge yeah. class disparity which I know kind of turned you off which we can talk about we can certainly yeah. talk about it but anyway so she sees this vision of this woman and stares at her it's so good she's she's they, they catch each other's eyes and um, stare at each other for a good what three to five seconds yeah 
Oh, Rachel, let us read the passage in the book where Therese first sees Carol. Do you have it? I do. Okay. Their eyes met at the same instant. Therese glancing up from a box she was opening and the woman just turning her head so she looked directly at Therese. She was tall and fair, her long figure graceful in the loose fur coat that she held open with a hand on her waist. Her eyes were gray, colorless, yet dominant as light or fire, and caught by them. Therese could not look away. I wonder if you might help me find this doll for my daughter. Right, Betsy. Oh, she cries and wets herself. But I'm afraid we're all out of stock. Mm. Left it too long. Well, we have plenty of other dolls and all kinds, actually. Right. What was your favorite doll when you were four? Me? I never... Not many, to be honest. I'm sorry, you're not allowed to smoke on the sales floor. Of all... Forgive me, shopping makes me nervous. That's all right, working here makes me nervous. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Love it! Um, You definitely get that, just by how Rooney Mara acts here. Mm -hmm. She's so good. I know some people don't love her performance because they feel like it's too subtle. I really- I don't think so. I really, I'd say, same. I'm like, wait, how are you not seeing how she's feeling? I'm seeing all the emotion. She's just not playing, you know, to the cheap seats. Yeah. So Rooney Mara, she did win, uh, I think, Best Actress at Cannes for this. Nice. And this this does seem like a performance that the audiences at Cannes and the, the, like the judges at Cannes would appreciate maybe more so than an American audience because they want something bigger and flashier. Because it is a very quiet performance. There's, I think, a great deal of subtlety in it. But some people that I've <laughs> read, I've read, read reviews and listened to different podcasts where people are like, oh my God, she's so blank. She's so dull. She's so boring. And I'm, I'm not... I didn't pick that up. I'm not experiencing it that way. I think she... Well, as a, as a screen presence, I think she's very enigmatic. There's something very elusive about Rooney Mara. That's what some people I think are reading as blank and boring, but not to me. It seems to me that she's always thinking when you see her, especially in the end, that end scene, which we'll get to there's everything is on her face and in her eyes. It's so good. I need to rewatch the ending scene because the only thing that I remember from the ending scene is Carol's face. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. You got to watch Rooney's performance. It's like all in her eyes and just the way she breathes and stands. It's just, she does a, a beautiful job. So I'm not with the people who think she's boring or not a not a blank slate kind of in this movie. So her performance was beautiful. One what? of my favorite scenes was her scene. We'll talk about it when we get oh, there. Oh, okay. We will definitely get there. Cheryl is asking Therese, the shopkeep, about girl. What, yeah, what kind of doll should I get my daughter? Like, what did you have when you were a kid? And then we get an allusion to maybe her childhood wasn't the best. Because she says, oh, well, I never had like anything like this when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And then Carol's like, well, what would you have wanted if you could get one? And she goes, well, I would have wanted a train set. I know. Love it. Different. This is not in the book. Not so in I the think, book. I think this was Phyllis Naj's way of showing. Like, I think the point was that this whole interaction between these two is completely coded where everything they say has a different meaning. So when Therese is saying, I like train sets. I'm interested in train sets. She's saying, 
I'm not like other girls. Exactly. <laughs> like she is. She's saying, I'm not like other girls. Are you like other girls? And so, she goes, no, I'm going to get the train set. It's like, oh, okay. So they're kind of feeling each other out here a little bit. I think especially Carol. But um, what do you think? Okay, I didn't really look into this, but what do you think the trains mean? Yeah, good question. Well, there's the idea of getting away, right? Like yeah. Therese wanting to get away and kind of feeling trapped in her life. There's that. I think the screenwriter, who I think was the one person that stayed on this project from the beginning, because this project was like, it was, it was first proposed in like 1997. So it took forever. It was in development forever. And so Phyllis Naj was like the one person that was on it from beginning to end. Wow. Love it. She did a great job. She herself a lesbian and she knew Patricia Highsmith. She no way. Her quite well. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah. but what? Patricia Patricia Highsmith passed away in 95. In 95, yep. Okay. Yep. So Phyllis Phyllis Naj knew her personally. And so she she was the one who developed this screenplay and stayed on, you know, years and years of it being sort of in stagnation and nothing happening and people dropping out of the project, whatnot. But I think she does a great job of doing just making things work double time triple time where she's like you can't just have one thing do one thing in a in a good screenplay it has to be doing several things like you said with the train when she you know she includes she makes that change from the book where Therese suggests getting that train it's is establishing a couple of things it's that you know Therese is not like other girls not in a not in a bad way not in like a pick me way but she's just different and it's queer coded she's different maybe that's something more of like a like a tomboy type thing to be right and also, like like you said, kind of the train suggesting a longing to to get away, to escape. Yeah. When you're on a train track, you're on just this one loop. Yeah, one loop. Mm-hmm. And you're not really allowed to get off and change maybe. tracks. Maybe. So maybe. Oh, so it could be one. Yeah, maybe maybe you might be on that. Remember when Carol says everything comes full circle? Full and circuit. She said there are no accidents, right? Yeah. Mm, I think I like that better, Rachel. I think I like that better, but, uh, and I'm also like, whoa, was Therese just trying to make a sale? Cause, because that train set looks like really expensive, <laughs> like way more expensive than a single doll. So I'm like, okay, was she just, <laughs> I'm about to make a killing. Cause this lady has money and is Therese paid on commission. And she just made a gigantic sale by selling that train set. I just, I don't. hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I don't feel like Therese cares that much about her job. Like yeah. she didn't want to put on the Santa hat. <laughs> She didn't. Well, yeah. In the book, it's clear that she's like, I hate this. This is a dead end job. I'm so depressed. You know, she's so sad in the book. But let's hope that she got paid on commission. Yeah. And then in, in the book, it she is not an aspiring photographer in the book. She was an aspiring set designer in the book. So yeah, Carol is like sold. She's like, um, do you deliver? And the, oh my God, we're just, I'm, I'm going to edit in all these clips. Cause Kate, oh my God, Kate Blanchett's voice. Oh my God. She's, she's everything. She's everything. Do you shoot special delivery? You could have it in two or three days. They'd even assemble it for you. Well, that's that. So shall I pay now? Oh yes, of course. Um, and your account details and your shipping address. Of course. I love Christmas. Wrapping presents and all that. And then somehow you wind up overcooking the turkey anyway. 
Done. Where'd you learn so much about train sets? Oh, I read. Too much, probably. That's refreshing. Thank you. She's so intimidating. Yeah, she is. She if is. you were the shop girl, you just made this huge sale to this woman. In the book, she's like fumbling around trying to like keep her head together. She is just dumbstruck from the second she sees her. And I think she, in the book, there's something about, she says something like this woman can see right through me and knows what I'm feeling right now. But yeah, Kate Blanchett, oh my God, she's just so tall and she's so elegant and she just, oh, she just oozes glamour and sophistication, wealth, mystique. Oh my God. And I love when she starts smoking and Therese is like, I'm sorry, you can't smoke on the sales floor. Oh yeah. <laughs> like in 1952, you couldn't smoke on the, wow. Okay. I figured you could smoke anywhere you wanted. They could smoke in hospitals. Right. You can smoke Air- in a toy Airplanes. Store. Yeah. But I was also like, wow, she actually stood up to Carol. <laughs> if it were me, I'd be like, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> you do what you want. <laughs> but she's probably afraid of her manager. Mean boss. Pissed at her all the time. Oh, I love when, um. I love when she's like, well, I'm convinced or something. She finally says, yes, sold. And then, and then Therese stares at Carol for like three seconds. And then Kate Blanchett is like, shall I pay here? And she's like, oh yeah, I love it. Oh my God. It's so good. She's just beside herself. It's so cute. So Carol ends up leaving behind a pair of gloves. Yes. Was this Rachel, was this intentional? Did she do that on purpose? Good question. I don't think so. You don't think she did? Why not? Why don't you think she did it on purpose? Because. Because <laughs> <laughs> this was something that was added. But I guess movie Carol, yes. Movie I think Carol's movie, different. Yeah, I think movie Carol is a lot different. And I think movie Carol would have left the gloves. On purpose? Yes. Because she's shooting her shot, right? I mean, yeah. there, there's no guarantee that Therese will send her the gloves. She, but she's giving her an opening yeah to do that you have my address you You have my my gloves you saw how I was checking you out we have the iconic bit where she turns around and goes I like the hat and gives her a once-over oh so good so good yeah Um, but she's glad she put on that hat then (laughs) her Santa hat hat. he's like I'll keep this for adventures later (laughs) Yeah, I could I could see Carol of the movie at least doing this on purpose. Yeah. It's a device that's not in the book, but it is something that stuck out in Patricia Highsmith's memory was her having those gloves and slapping them in her hand. And then yeah. we see Kate Blanchett doing the same thing. She kind of like hits the, she like slaps her palm with the gloves. Love it. Love that change in the movie. Love it. It's very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Leaves her, her leather gloves behind. What happens, Rachel? Well, then... um. Therese sends her the gloves with the Christmas card, I believe. Yeah, sends her the glove. Um, I think it just puts, she just put her employee number on the card. Yep, not her name. Nothing. Not her name. Yeah. Um, so when Carol receives the gloves, she decides to give the store a call. And oh my God. The employee out to lunch as a thank you. She knows what she's doing. She definitely knows what she's doing. Yeah. Therese maybe isn't sure what's happening yet. But Carol does. Carol for sure does. She's experienced. How many, how many Therese's are in Carol's past, do you think? 
How many girls? Oh, I think, I don't know. I kind of think that Tres may be the first. Really? One of her kind. She's flung out of space. She's, hmm, I guess. But she's, we know she's had a relationship with Abby. Right. But I think that was a lot different because her and Abby had been childhood friends. They knew each other. But Tres is like a, a wild card. Oh my God. I like your flung out of space comment. I'm, I just like to think, part of me likes to think that Carol has a playbook. She has a method. There's a method where she's like, how to determine if this girl's into me, what can I do to yeah. ensure I think Carol again? <laughs> we'll get into this later, but I think Carol wasn't looking for somebody with all like the personal oh. stuff she has going on. No. Yeah. Well, there's that part when Abby is like in the movie, when Abby is like, tell me you know what you're doing and carol is like i don't (laughs) you going somewhere west i thought at least for a few weeks until the hearing what else am i gonna do well i know you don't like driving alone so she's young tell me you know what you're doing seems like she's kind of just following her instincts yeah oh anyway so they meet for lunch trez is on her lunch break from work mm-hmm. they go to a fancy restaurant oh my god and they order cream spinach over oh. poached eggs oh. <laughs> which is such like an old person oh <laughs> god so disgusting did you watch that video i sent you the kate mccann i did oh <laughs> <laughs> we're I think it was like, I don't know, for the Independent Spirit Awards, Kate McKinnon, <laughs> they did a thing where they edited you know, clips of the movie and with the <laughs> Kate McKinnon and, and like Wanda Sykes shows up, I think, and Kumail Nanjiani, where uh, Kate McKinnon is in, she's playing Carol in this, but she, um, when she orders that, Kumail Nanjiani is like, that is, all right, that is our most disgusting meal. <laughs> But then um, Therese follows suit and just orders the same thing because she, she does. doesn't. Therese doesn't know what she wants, Rachel. She doesn't know what she wants. She probably doesn't want to like sit there and look at a menu. No. She's like, I need to not waste my time here. I am going to devote all of my attention to, uh, to Carol. And that all oh, the outfits are to die for in this movie. Carol's gray suit with the red scarf. Oh, mm-hmm. so good. Yeah. She always has some kind of red on it looks like. Yeah. And Therese really does. I mean, she was nearly 30, Rooney was, when she played this. She looks like a little baby. Yeah. So slight. And she's wearing this white little blouse and a, like a jumper on. And she just has this haircut of a little girl. The little baby bangs. The little bangs and the short hair. And I was like, oh, she looks like a little baby. And um, Carol is just so sophisticated. Just like the way she orders her food and her, her dry martini at what, 12 p.m.? Yeah. I had to look up what a martini was. It's like vodka and vermouth. That is hard stuff. And to have that at 12 p.m. And a cigarette. Cigarette on top of it. Yeah, smoking is bad. Don't do it. It's bad for you. It's very sexy. Emily <laughs> loves watching people smoke. <laughs> I like. I love watching hot women smoke. Yeah. That's what I like to do. And Carol is extremely hot and sophisticated. She has her silver cigarette case. Then she offers a cigarette to Therese and oh, she lights her cigarette. That That is so hot. Watching Classic. someone, watching Carol Aird light Therese's cigarette. Very sexy. So. It's, so, it's like engaging with the other person. 
getting close to her. Very close. Not too close. It's a very intimate gesture to light someone's cigarette. Cigarette? Yes, please. So what kind of name is Bellavet? It's Czech. It's changed originally. It's very original. Well. And your first name? Therese. Therese? Not Teresa. No. Therese Bellavet. It's lovely. And yours? Carol. God. God damn. Oh, it's fraught. It's very fraught. It's sizzling. This is what I love about the movie is this scene in the book did seem like a little bit dry. Like you get frustrated yeah. with Therese because you're like, yeah. girl. Yeah. Get but the movie, like, you, can read, you can read like the motions on all, like each right. other's faces. I thought it really brought it to life. Yeah. I love, uh, oh, I love how Kate plays this scene. She's making decisions, I think, on the spot, like like you said, where she has an idea of what could happen between them and what she might like to happen between them. But she's kind of, she's figuring, she's kind of figuring Therese out while they're sitting there because she asks her a number of questions. She susses her out. She lets it drop that she's getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. And she's um, asking Therese, do you live alone, Therese Bellavet? And do you live alone, Therese Bellavet? I do. Well, there's Richard. He'd like to live with me. Oh, no, it's nothing like that. I mean, he'd like to marry me. I see. And would you like to marry him? Well, I barely even know what to order for lunch. Trez is like, well, Richard, he'd like to live with me. And then uh, they don't show um, Carol's reaction, but we can make assumptions about the kind of face she made by Trez going, oh, no, no, it's nothing like that. He wants to marry me. <laughs> Carol goes, well, would you like to marry him? So she's she's figuring things out here. And then Therese gives the, the classic Therese answer, which is, well, I don't even know what to order for lunch. Mm-hmm. Which says a lot. And then um, Carol gets this really sad look on her face. In the book, and I listened to Kate Blanchett talked about reading the book and how in the book, several times it mentions that this kind of melancholy comes over Carol. That That's Therese a good way to describe it. Yeah, it's like that. It's like something inscrutable almost, but it's like a melancholy. And then Therese just feels like she just can't reach her. There's just mm-hmm. this veil that kind of passes over her face. Carol probably feels like, I think, it, you know, in the, the book, she's pretty supportive of her relationship with Richard. It seems like she's telling her, like, don't choose this in a way, because it's not the easy choice. In the book? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there is a lot in the book about her. Yeah, they, they cut some. Yeah, I'm glad they cut out this stuff. Yeah, the there's very little time. But yeah, in the book, she um, she meets Richard. Carol meets Richard. And yeah. it says that Therese feels like Carol likes Richard. And they have a pretty frank discussion, like way early on in the book, way before they have sex in the book about marriage, what it's like and sex. They do. They talk about sex. Yeah. The book is a lot different. Yeah. There's a lot in the movie where you kind of have to fill in the blanks because you don't, there isn't a ton of dialogue. The conversations they do have, they don't, we see them interacting, like when they drive through the tunnel and then when they go on their road trip, we can assume they're covering a lot of ground in terms of getting to know each other. Yeah. Um, But we don't, we're not privy to any of that 
but in mm-hmm. the book we certainly are a lot of the I think even well even in the book I felt like a lot more could have been said like I felt like Therese stops her like she over it's overthinking constantly mm-hmm. um she wants to make a certain impression on Carol about who she is and she's not really fully being herself all of the time I feel like that yeah and how much of Carol is she really seeing how much is exactly she, how much is she projecting onto Carol what how well does she actually know Carol but like I feel like none of this really matters because in real life when you meet somebody you can have that initial spark and nothing really matters about them you just have that chemistry and you're like I want to I want to explore I want to explore this yes. and that's probably what drove Carol where she's like is this the best idea right now? No. I remember thinking that like, Carol, what are you doing pursuing this relationship when you're in the middle of this divorce slash custody battle where the- things are in a delicate place right now for Carol? And I'm like, what are you doing chasing this girl? <laughs> but also, yes, do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's kind of like against their control. Like they just, they're so into each other. They're on the train and they're just going on one path. <laughs> Yeah, do you what? How do you feel about their on-screen chemistry? These two, I like it. I think yeah. it works. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of tension between between them, especially at the house when she eventually goes to to Carol's house. There's that moment when, in the book, Carol comes up behind Therese while she's playing piano, and she just rests her hands on her shoulders. And the way Therese reacts, yeah, there's so much tension between. Yeah, them. that house scene. So when they're at the lunch. Mm-hmm. Carol suggests that Therese come over to her house on Sunday. Bold as hell. Bold as hell. What do you do on Sundays? Nothing in particular. What do you do? Oh, nothing lately. I mean, if you'd like to come visit me sometime, you're welcome to. At least there's some pretty country around where I live. Would you like to come visit me this Sunday? Yes. <laughs> what a strange girl you are. Why? Flung out of space. Trez is like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we get kind of the first scene of them at the house. She meets her child. Rindy. Rindy? Doesn't we don't see her interact with Rindy though. They pick up the Christmas tree. Therese takes some photographs of yes. It's very magical. The score, the, the music. Well, this is probably like one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. This Which one? Whole, this whole sequence of them picking up the tree, them mm-hmm. being at the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love, okay. So when they're at the house, there's like a, a few things that happen. Therese is playing the piano for Carol. They're having drinks, right? They're putting up the Christmas tree. Yeah, Carol puts up the tree with Rindy in the back. You see them doing it in the background. And Therese is like arranging a tray. I was like, why is your guest doing this? It was weird. (laughs) But then later on, we see uh, Carol trying to wrap the train set sitting on the floor. And then Therese is trying to to play. She's attempting to play the piano. It's not very good. (laughs) But attention to detail. She's playing a song that is mentioned outright in the book called Easy Living. Mm-hmm. Billy Holiday song and they have a little bit of a conversation where Carol kind of asks Therese what she would like you know what she wants to do with her life and Therese is she's lacking in confidence she she wants to be a photographer but she doesn't have a great camera and she doesn't she's not very experienced with with like human subjects for those pictures of me you were taking at the tree lot 
sorry. I should have asked. Well, don't apologize. I've just been trying to... Well, I have a friend who told me I should be more interested in humans. <laughs> and how's that going? It's going well, actually. I'm glad. Oh, and then she says, you know, I have some photographs hanging up in my apartment. And then of Carol, of course, she's got to shoot her shot. She said, well, invite me around. <laughs> so good. So good. Will you show me your work? Sure. I mean, I haven't sold anything or even shown a picture to someone who could buy one. I don't even have a decent camera. But they're all at my place under the sink, mostly. Invite me around. Yeah, she really has to take the lead. <laughs> oh, she for sure does. She, yeah, you see how wealthy Carol is when you see her house. And it's just a giant, like a huge house all the way out in, in New Jersey mansion. It's, mm-hmm. Oh, it's beautiful. But then they're having a, a <gasps> lovely evening. But then Carol's husband comes home unannounced. And I'm like, there's nothing going on. I just yeah. love this because it's so innocent in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But Carol's face looks like she's guilty as hell. And Harge knows his wife. Harge knows what she's been up to. See, this is what leads me to believe that Abby wasn't the only one. I feel like Carol has a pattern of behavior, as the lawyer says later. I think she has a habit of taking an interest in women. I think the second Harge, his name is Harge, which is so funny. The second Harge clocks Therese at the piano. He's like, oh, I see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And I think he like came to the house innocently. But then as soon as he sees that Therese is there, like, he becomes... Uh, combative he's scary I'm scared very scary he's drunk frequently drunk all the time and he's a big man it's he's actually scary when when he goes he throws a little tantrum on the floor he's trying to fix the sink or something and he's telling Carol like oh actually his family sucks in the book we can see that Carol does not have a good relationship with her in-laws but they're in the middle of this divorce so they had agreed that Rindy would stay with Carol for at least Christmas Eve or Christmas day. But then hard shows up and is like, well, actually my mom booked a flight to like what Palm Springs or Palm beach or something. Yeah. And I'm taking her. Yeah. Taking her, even though they had already arranged that Carol would have her daughter. It's just terrible. And yeah. And she's already in bed and hard wants to like come in, take wake her, her up, pack a suitcase. And it's very upsetting. It was all mother's idea. I'm not ready. She's not packed. She's asleep upstairs in bed. What about my Christmas with that daughter? I'm sorry, Carol. It can't be helped the flights in the morning. And do you think that I've packed already? God damn it! How do you know my wife? Harge, please. I work at Frankenberg's at the department store. I ordered a gift from her desk. I forgot my gloves. So she returned them and I thanked her. Well, that's bald. So they're having this big argument, and then how awkward would it be? That's so awkward. So awkward. Ah, I mean, yeah, he's he's uh, trying to fix something in the sink, and Carol's like, "Well, what about you know my Christmas with my daughter?" And he just throws the wrench down, and he's like, "God damn it!" It's very scary. And then he gets up, and he's desperate and flustered, and he just goes and he looks at Therese, and he's like, "How do you know my wife?" It's scary. It's real scary. It is, yeah, it is really scary. And Therese is thinking, like, "This is all my fault. Like, what's yeah. happening here?" Yeah. And then Carol is like, "I," she returned, you know, she returned my gloves, and I just 
I took her out, whatever. I took her out to lunch to thank her. And then this is a, the great line <laughs> where Harge is just like, that's bold. <laughs> it sure <laughs> yes, it is. is. It sure is. And then they continue arguing just from the edit. We can tell they've been, they've been arguing for a while. And then, so Therese kind of sees them through the window. Um, Harge ends up taking Rindy, very upsetting. And we see them arguing through the window. Therese does. And she turns up the volume on that record player. Yeah. <laughs> so just like awesome. a kid would do. This is yeah. like what a kid would do when their parents are arguing. Well, the book, she's like 19, right? Yeah. So they're yelling and he's drunk. Like he has a driver and we, we can see, but he's fully drunk, you know, putting his daughter in the car and getting in there and they argue. And he says some really nasty stuff to her. Like, I don't put anything past women like you. And she's like, you married a woman like me. <laughs> oh, but it's so terribly awkward. And it's like, okay, red flag, Therese. This is not the woman. I know she's Kate Blanchett. She's, you know, amazing and everything. But like, this is not the time to be getting entangled with this woman. But no. they both want it so bad. <laughs> so um, after Harge leaves, Therese is feeling like, I need to go home. Like, I'll just yeah, take the train. And then so Carol brings her to the train. Um, and then on the way home, she's on the train. Trez is crying and it looks so emotional so raw yeah what are they talking about Rooney Mara you cannot yes she is that's my favorite scene is when she's crying on the train I'm just like oh my god Rachel sad girl you like your sad girls I do (laughs) she is so embarrassed I feel embarrassed for her because you can just imagine how embarrassing it would be to see that unfold in front of you when you're in someone else's house and clearly there's a great deal of personal strife going on and, and Carol like snaps at her. She's like, you don't have to go out in the middle of the night and buy cigarettes. And she's like, well, I'll just drop you off at the station. Yeah. And it's yeah. And then to Therese, it feels like, is it over now? Yeah. Like, wow, I'm being summarily dismissed. That was extremely awkward. She was having this lovely time with this fascinating, alluring woman and all of a sudden it ends so badly. All of her hopes are dashed and yeah but then carol calls her on the phone and this is she lives in like a boarding house right or something like that and so she lives in a, i think she lives in an apartment. apartment but they have a shared telephone they have one phone because this is 1952 and carol couldn't just text her and be like oh, i'm sorry about earlier so she has to call her and then her neighbor is like do you know what time it is miss velvet i'm like she cannot help that someone called so shut shut up <laughs> yeah, shut the door also- who knows, like, who the call is even for? Yeah, what if it's a damn emergency? Therese is just answering it. You're right. How do you know what it was for Therese? Hello, listeners. I'm interrupting this broadcast to let you know that I'm splitting Carol into two episodes. Since we're at the midway point of the story, and I like to make the good times last, I'm going to ask you to stay tuned for Adventures in Waterloo with Carol and Therese next time on Female Driven Podcast. Happy Carol season! Mm-hmm.